Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Last week I spoke about the distinction between the seasons of fasting and feasting, about how we are admonished in Lent to mourn for our sins, and we are now enjoined in this Easter season to rejoice and to lay hold of that perpetual gladness, which is ours because our Lord is risen from the dead and has made all things new. This is emphasized today in our introit and our collect as it is throughout the readings in this Easter season. Our introit says, The loving kindness of the Lord filleth the whole world. Alleluia. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were established. Alleluia. Alleluia. And then he gives the command, not the suggestion. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for it becometh well the just to be thankful. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for it becometh well the just to be thankful. And our collect says, God, who in the humility of thy Son has raised up a fallen world, grant unto thy people, grant unto thy faithful people, perpetual gladness, that those whom thou hast delivered from the peril of eternal death may be brought to the fruition of everlasting joys the fruition of everlasting joys. That which we desire and pray for this morning in our collect is our resurrection, our glorification in majesty at the last day as we follow Christ, our elder brother, in his resurrection. Now the vision and the hope that we have for this eternal joy, this fruition of everlasting joys for which we work and wait and persevere, in the trial of this life. The strength to hold on to that gladness, that hope. That is what we need. We need gladness. We need joy. We need that to be our strength so that we don't give up or lose sight. And that's what we pray for in our college, that God would grant us this perpetual gladness because we have been delivered from death and die no more. And it is through this inner gladness, this joy in the Holy Spirit, because Christ is risen from the dead, that we are strengthened and enabled to remain faithful to the end. The question for us now is, how do we make this gladness, which is so often fleeting, so difficult to hold on to at times, we have to all admit, I think, how do we make it perpetual and abiding? How do we live in joy and gladness. And last week I answered that question by suggesting that the engine of this gladness is actually the very same engine of our sorrow. <laughs> the sorrow that we are admonished to enter in Lent is supplied 
by the liturgy, by the prayers, the readings, our attendance, our attentive and sincere attendance in worship, the liturgical and sacramental life in the church. This is also the same strength and engine that supplies not just our ability to mourn in godly sorrow during Lent, but it is also what provides the river of gladness and rejoicing in the seasons of feasting, and particularly in this season of Easter. Well, today is Sunday of the Good Shepherd. Today is Sunday of the Good Shepherd, reflecting our gospel lesson that we just heard the deacon read to us. We may wonder what this has to do with our prayer that God would grant us perpetual gladness. But as we will see in the message in John's Gospel concerning Christ the Good Shepherd, it holds the key. It holds the key to our perpetual gladness and Easter joy. Now Jesus' teaching uh, on the Good Shepherd has a long backstory, and we just read a portion of it this morning. There's a lot more there in John chapter 10 that we didn't hear. But it has a long backstory for his audience. They would have been very familiar with this, immediately recognize that he is referencing the whole history of Israel, and that God had clearly called himself the shepherd of his people. This is a major motif in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, Jacob, who became Israel, on his deathbed declared that God had shepherded him all his life to this very day. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb, the Lamb in the midst of his throne who shepherds and guides his people to springs of water, the water of life. Again and again, ultimately it is God who is presented as the true shepherd. The psalmist tells us, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. And of course there is that most comforting verse that millions and millions and millions of people have quoted so many times. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Isaiah tells us God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. What a beautiful picture of the tenderness and the gentleness of God who feeds and gathers and tends and protects his little flock. Ezekiel says that God as a shepherd seeks out his flock. On the day he is among his scattered sheep, I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. The emphasis again and again on God's shepherding, his little lambs, consists in three things if you look at all the passages. He gathers them together when they've been scattered and isolated. He brings them into one flock. When they've been exposed to danger, he brings them into a safe haven of one flock. He feeds them and he protects them. Those are the three things again and again that are referenced. He gathers them into one flock, he feeds them and he protects them. Again from Ezekiel. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Now, 
even though God is clearly himself the true shepherd of his people, he's always appointed under shepherds to care for his people as well. In Jeremiah we read, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Well, that was his intent. (laughs) And maybe some of those shepherds of Israel did feed them with knowledge and understanding, but by and large, the shepherds failed miserably. They did not care for the flock, and as a result, the flock was scattered, the flock was not fed, and the flock was not protected. Those three things, again, come up again and again, and God again and again judges the wicked shepherds of Israel who allowed his people to be scattered, go unfed, and exposed to the enemy. Jeremiah tells us, quote, Therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Ezekiel again says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Again in Ezekiel we read, as I live, says the Lord, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food, for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. The true shepherd, we know, as Christ teaches us, is not concerned with his own welfare. He lays down his life for the sheep. He gathers them together. He feeds them and he protects them. The shepherds of Israel failed. Just as the shepherds in Jesus' day, who he is speaking to in our gospel passage, the Pharisees, also failed. But God promised again and again through his prophets that there would one day come the one true shepherd among his people. I will establish one shepherd over them, he says, through Ezekiel, his prophet, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd The good shepherd, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ, son of David and David's Lord. He is, as John writes in his revelation, both shepherd and lamb, who is in the midst of the throne. He will shepherd them. He will lead them to living fountains of waters and wipe every tear away from their eyes. When Jesus came among us in his ministry, we read about how he stood and saw the multitudes And the Gospelers tell us he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In our Gospel lesson today, Jesus tells a parable about the sheepfold and the good shepherd. And he contrasts the good shepherd with those who unlawfully enter as thief, with the hireling, with those who come to kill and steal, and also the wolf who attacks and scatters the sheep. He says the good shepherd knows his sheep and they know him. He's come to give them abundant life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hireling, on the other hand, like so many of the shepherds of Israel, is concerned for himself. 
When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Well, the wolf's the devil, by the way, and those who are in league with him. The sheep are left defenseless. The sheepfold is broken apart. The sheep are scattered, separated, and flee, dispersed into the wild. There's many lessons we could learn from this. But I want to emphasize one thing, which I think is at the root of this whole teaching and is necessary for our perpetual gladness, that for which we pray in our college. By the way, I will add that the fathers of the church preach a lot on this passage. <laughs> and they preach a lot on this motif of the Good Shepherd. And everything I'm saying to you is at the very heart of what they constantly emphasize about this. In all the passages about bad shepherds and good shepherds, there are, again, as I've already said, these three aspects which come up again and again. Three things that the bad shepherds fail to do and three things that the good shepherd does. The good shepherd feeds his sheep, protects his sheep, and gathers his sheep together into one flock. The last line of our gospel lesson this morning was, Jesus said, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now these three things are not equal aspects of a well-cared-for sheepfold. One of these three stands out. One of them is a condition for the other two. The flock is fed together as a group. The flock is kept safe and protected when they are together and not alone. They are satiated and happy and at rest when they are together. The primary condition of being fed and satisfied at peace and protected from the wolf is to be together in the sheepfold as one flock. That was true for Israel, and it is true for the church. To be scattered, to be scattered is for all to be lost. There is absolutely no doubt that this passage and this really major motif in the whole of Scripture concerns the unity of the church and our active, faithful, loyal dedication to the body of Christ. That this is the absolute necessary condition for our perpetual gladness. It is the only place that we can be satiated and at rest. There are hirelings in the church. Augustine talks a lot about this, but the sermon's getting long enough as it is, so I won't go into all that. But yes, there are many hirelings in the church. There are even wolves in the church. There are hirelings and wolves. But we are in a much different situation than the Jews who also suffered under false shepherds. Because the true and only good shepherd has come. And he is at the head. And he is making intercession for us now in a new and different way as the God-man. The Lamb is in the midst of the throne, leading us to living waters and wiping every tear from our eye. So we won't be led astray by the hirelings. We will find our perpetual gladness in the midst of the temple, among the congregation. The flock that Christ has purchased with his blood. The flock that he has gathered into one people and made his one body. That is where we will be fed the heavenly food of his flesh and blood. 
That is where we will find rest for our souls. That is the only safe haven where the wolf cannot harm us. When we are together, gathered as one flock, the body with the head. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.